on, on, on. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. All right. I'm going to pray, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Father, thank you for this morning. <clears throat> thank you for your word. Thank you that you are not a God like the deists worship, uh, a God who kind of created the world and walked away, and um, kind of the absentee landlord, slumlord God who creates everything and then walks away, but that you are intimately involved with us, that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us um, through your word and ultimately um, through the living word, Jesus. And today, I just pray that we get a glimpse of, of him. I pray that as we see him and all that he's done for us, Lord, we would just be filled with joy. Just, I, I can't talk someone into having joy, but your spirit can bring joy in a second. And, and that's what I asked this morning for New City Church, that joy would fill their hearts as they, they, they get a glimpse of the one who is their joy and is their strength, Jesus. So it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, so uh, I, for whatever reason, when, um, when uh, Vince, I was going to say Zach, and I knew, but I knew it wasn't Zach, but I forgot. I'm sorry, Vince. I forgot your name. But I'm here. I'm here. I'm a friend. I'm, yeah, I'm cutting your, cutting your, Man, your grief in half. Anyways, I'm just going to move into what I was going to say. So uh, when he asked me to just preach, I just felt like the phrase, just like comfort them with the gospel um, and remind them of the joy they have in the gospel. It's just like over and over and over. And uh, so I was just going to, I don't know if you guys have ever, have ever felt like you've lacked joy or you've lacked joy lately. I could be totally missing it prophetically or whatever, and I just, you know, that, it's not that at all. But, but either way, I'm going to preach the gospel to you, which is probably a good thing. But I had a time recently where I, I really lacked joy. Uh, about six weeks ago, um, and it was really weird because everything seemed to be going well. Uh, we just launched, getting ready to go into to two worship gatherings, we're multiplying missional communities, church was great. Uh, on the marriage front, honestly, it was like the healthiest my marriage has ever been in the last like six months. Um, we were just more emotionally intimate than, than I ever thought possible. Um, we are physically intimate a lot. We are loving our kids. We are, it's just been fun, and uh, it hasn't been easy, but it's just we're doing it together and, um, and it's just been, been rad, and I got out of an elders meeting, and I drove to a restaurant, and got some food, and I just felt, and literally, we just had a meeting where basically the elders were taking stuff off my plate, no one was arguing with me, it was just like, hey, how can we help, how can we serve, um, and things were just going awesome, and honestly, it was, like, it was just a great meeting, it was like God saving people, he's restoring people, and, but I just felt, walked out, I was feeling numb, and uh, just feeling empty. And to be honest, it's easier to feel empty when you, it's easier to feel sad, I think, than to even feel empty. Because when you're sad, you know why, and you can kind of figure out a way, maybe if this gets better, you know, you find hope outside of Jesus, you find some idol, and you go, well, if I get this, then it'll be better, and you can talk yourself out of it, or the better way, you can preach the gospel to yourself. Um, but when you're just like, everything seems good, and I just feel empty, and, um, and I cried for like 20 minutes. And uh, in the car by myself in a parking lot, uh, everyone at Jersey Mike's was like, man, like, I really love that sandwich. <laughs> and, uh, and I texted uh, my team and, and my crew and my guys and, and my wife, and, and I said, just pray for me. I don't really know what's going on right now. And, and just very quickly, I realized that, that I just had forgotten who I was and why I was doing what I was doing. So the stuff that we were doing was going well, but it felt meaningless. It felt very Ecclesiastes, like, well, why are we even doing this. And so today, um, I felt like the Spirit just said, comfort them with the gospel. 
And I find that, and I bet a lot of you guys are familiar with the gospel, the idea of the gospel. If you're not, that's not a big deal. We were stoked that you're here. Uh, we want you to hear um, about Jesus. Um, but, but, but sometimes we don't need a fresh word. Uh, we, we need um, the word we've known for a long time applied freshly. Does that make sense? We need, we need reminding of things we know. And I don't think this is new for New City. I, I think this is um, true even in an old city, a city called Corinth. So uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, that was a joke, New City, Old City. See what I did there? <laughs> All right. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He says, Now I remind you, brothers, I remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, so they've already received it, in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So Paul, this great apostle and father of the Corinthian church, reminds the Corinthians of the gospel he preached that they had already received. And I mean, when I read a passage like this, I just ask why. Why remind them of a gospel they've already received? And I think the reason he's reminding them is, is because I think many of us, and I would say the Corinthian church probably struggled with what um, author Elise Fitzpatrick calls gospel amnesia. And uh, I don't know, how many guys uh, are fans of romantic comedies? How many ladies are fans? You know, okay, I'm not going to judge you. They're bad, whatever, they're fine. It's, 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 it's false hope, but it's fine. Um, Right, and uh, I remember me and, my, when me and my wife first got married, we were dirt poor. We could not go to the movies. Netflix wasn't out yet. It was almost 10 years ago. So we had two DVDs that we'd watch like every two months. And one of them was, it was an um, Academy, Academy Award winning film called 50 First Dates with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just epic. Rob Schneider, I think one best supporting actor. Um, and in the movie, there's this jerk guy named Henry, played by Adam Sandler. He's kind of a womanizer, uh, mistreats women, kind of, kind of playa. And he meets a woman named Lucy, Drew Barrymore. And, and they hit it off one day. They meet at this diner. They have this great connection. And the next day, he sees her again at the same diner. And he's like, yeah, it's about to go down. And, and he walks in, and he starts talking to her. And she's just, like, so creeped out by him. Like, she's like... Well, she, he's like, hey there. And he had some line from the day before she had no context for. Um, and she's like, whoa. And she runs away. And then he's informed by the people that work at the restaurant that Lucy was in an accident and she acquired Goldfield syndrome, which is a fictitious form of amnesia, where basically she thinks every day is the day that she got in an accident. So every night her uh, short-term memory is wiped clean and all she has is everything up to the day she was in the accident. And so cue the romantic comedy, he's got to win her over 50 times. So he meets her over and over for, and sometimes it goes good, sometimes it goes bad. Um, some of you guys, you wish you had this with your spouse. You're like, I have a fresh start. Uh, and, um, and there's this scene where they, they fall asleep together, probably do very pure things. And she wakes up the next day, and she attacks him with a baseball bat. So she wakes up, doesn't know who he is. Imagine the guy's just in her bed in his underwear, and she attacks him with a baseball bat. She thinks he's a creeper. And to avoid being assaulted, Henry comes up with this idea that he uses throughout the rest of the movie to make a movie that tells her, hey, this is who you are. This is who I am. You were in an accident. Now we're together. Kind of jog her memory. And then the movie ends very unrealistically. They get married. And they have kids, and in the final scene, it shows her daily rhythm. They have kids together, and she wakes up every day. She watches this video where Henry reminds her of who she is, what happened to her, 
who he is and what he has done for her and now how much he loves her. Now, I'll argue that most Christians are like Lucy. They constantly forget about God's love in the gospel and all that Jesus has accomplished for them on the cross and, and in the resurrection, and we need reminding. And, 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 I don't, and here's the thing. I don't think Christians forget the actual facts of the gospel, like, well, who is Jesus? What's a cross? <laughs> I think we forget the implications of the gospel for our everyday life, and we live like they're not true. Like Lucy popping up on Henry, and she, she's acting like she's never met him before, because in her mind, it's like it's not true. And so if you walk around here with guilt, then you've forgotten that, that you've been completely forgiven. People walk around with guilt usually for one or two reasons. Um, either you have a very, very, in your mind, very, very bad sin, adultery, abortion, um, a, a big lie you've lived with for a long time, and you go, God can never forgive this big thing that I've done, and he can. That's why Jesus is so bad he had to die for it. It is bad, but, but he died for it. His, his life was taken for it. Or it's, it's a besetting sin that maybe doesn't feel as big to you, as adultery or abortion or whatever, but, but it's an ongoing thing with rage or lust or anxiety or, or whatever it is, and you, you have this there, and you just feel so guilty. Or maybe you're, you're, you're striving to impress people and earn their approval all the time. Some of you guys are enslaved. You're, you're constantly buying new shoes. You're constantly throwing stuff up on social media. You're constantly um, trying to show off that you're in the coolest new places. And you've forgotten that you're completely accepted by the only one whose approval matters in the gospel. Maybe you bounce from unhealthy relationship to unhealthy relationship because you just want to be accepted. And you'll let people mistreat you if they make you feel, even for a second, like you matter, like you're desired, like you're pursued. When we, get it, when we give in to temptation and sin, we're forgetting that on the cross, Jesus, Jesus freed us from the power of sin. Now, I know that you're thinking this morning, Andy, I already know this gospel. I'm not your average Christian. I'm at New City. We're hardcore. We're missional. We're urban. We're gospel. We're missionaries. We're family. We'll die for this. And it's in like next Friday or something, like tough light security. We'll die for this. You're like, we're New City, man. We will die for this. And I think Paul would argue that it's totally possible for faithful disciples of Jesus to lose sight of the gospel. In 2 Timothy, Paul says something similar. He's writing to a pastor and not just a pastor, someone argue, an emerging church planner, apostolic leader, who he's discipled as a son in the faith named Timothy. This man is appointing elders. He's not just an elder. You should respect elders and look to elders. They're a big deal, right? A big deal in the sense that, 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 that they have authority and, and responsibility and, and they should be examples in the faith. But this is a man who's appointing elders. So he's clearly a leader. And Paul says to this guy, at the end of his life, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Seems like an odd thing to say to a young man who's already clearly a leader, a young man who's laying a gospel foundation himself in a church, a young man tasked with the job of appointing elders. Why would he say this? I mean, certainly Timothy knows who Jesus Christ is. He's appointing elders, Paul. Remember Jesus, like this is all that they're about. And I think it's because Timothy is facing severe stress, the kind of thing we'll face from time to time in this fallen world. Tim Keller, commenting on this passage, writes, Knowing how quickly our own thoughts can turn inward away from the gospel when we are suffering, Paul exhorts Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. 
And so check this out. If a disciple, disciple, firsthand disciple of the apostle Paul needs to be reminded of the gospel, how much more do we as run-of-the-mill 21st century Southern California disciples need to be reminded of Jesus Christ? This cat was in Ephesus. He was with Paul. Paul knew Peter. Peter actually was with Jesus. Paul was knocked off a horse by Jesus. He wrote like two-thirds of the epistles in the New Testament. Like Paul's big deal. And, and he discipled Timothy. And he goes, man, you remember Jesus. Whatever you do, remember Jesus. And so my big idea today is this, is you may be missing out on the joy God is calling you to experience because of your circumstances. Because you've lost sight of the truth that matters, that, that, that supersedes your circumstances. That's bigger than your circumstances. That's bigger than your sin. That's bigger than your world. Because you've lost sight of the truth that matters, the gospel. You may have for all intensive purposes forgotten it. And so today I just want to remind you quickly of core gospel truths and ask the Spirit to make them true in your heart again. And as I go through these truths, you may already know, I just want you to ask yourself, do I tend to forget this? Not have I never heard this before, but do I tend to live like this isn't true? And so like Paul in 1 Corinthians, my hope is to remind you of a few things this morning. And to do this, I want to look at another letter Paul wrote, the letter to the Ephesians. So if you guys have Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at the longest sentence in the New Testament. We're not even going to look at the whole thing. It's long. He just gets, Paul just gets pumped about the gospel, just starts going for it. It says, blessed be, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, I'm sorry. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. How many blessings? Every. You know, by the way, you don't obey God to get blessed. You're, you're, you're completely blessed, so you're free to obey. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. That word lavished in Greek is the, is, is the idea is a never-ending poor. And you may feel like I just never stopped sinning. And that's good because you have a never-ending pour of grace that covers you. You... you you feel like your circumstances are, are big, and some of you guys are, you're facing very challenging circumstances, but there is grace for you, a never-ending supply of grace that Jesus purchased for you himself. And you have every blessing, and some of them you taste now, and some of them you're gonna taste later completely when you're with him, but, but it's coming. Ephesians 1, 4. So I just wanna remind you, this is what I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna look at a couple of things in this text, just remind you of a couple of things. The first one, remember that you're chosen. Ephesians 1.4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Chosen, what does that mean? This idea of being predestined. I think the Bible's clear in other places that, that, that the big idea with this is that he decided in, in advance, I believe the Trinity decided in advance that we would become like Jesus. It's a big idea. He chose us to become like Jesus. I don't have the time to get into why God chooses some people and not others. It's kind of a controversial issue. 
But here's the deal. Everyone who takes the Bible seriously, Reformed people, Arminian people, the debate uh, believes that God chooses. The debate is over why he chooses. So, uh, again, I'm I'm not going to break down election today. That's not why I'm here. But one thing I know for sure is that if you have put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross and in the resurrection and you're seeking to follow Jesus, he did choose you. I promise. So how you got here, you know, Zach and Vince and the theologians on the team can, can break that down for you. But I can surely say that if you put your faith in Jesus, he chose you. And, and again, we don't know why he did, but he did. Uh, imagine you see um, a couple at Horton Plaza. You go over to Horton Plaza, and I'm trying to think of a, a delicate way to put this, but, but you see a couple, and they're not equally yoked physically. You know what I'm talking about? Like you just see a couple, and you're like, Okay, someone, someone, someone won here. Right, the girl looks like a supermodel. The guy looks like a Walking Dead extra, right? By the way, I'm not hating on that guy. I am that guy. If you saw my wife, you'd be like, dang. And I'd be like, hey, she's my wife, bro. Um, but, but, but you start thinking when you see a couple like this, you start thinking, how did this happen? And different scenarios run through your head. Maybe Catholic school, 100 girls, two boys, limited pool to choose from, right? This is it. He was the best of the two, right? Maybe there was some sort of radio show uh, contest, win a date with a supermodel. Maybe it's a little darker than that. Maybe this woman's been kidnapped and she needs my help. Just to be clear, that's not God's situation. God's not got a limited pool to choose from. He could have chose whoever he wanted, but he chose you. He chose me. And if I, I know a lot about me, and I wouldn't choose me. And I think if you know the the truth about your own heart, you wouldn't have chose you either. And here's why this matters for your day-to-day life. You might go, this is some abstract theological concept. It's not. Maybe you, your entire life, you've wondered if anyone wanted you or you were sure no one did. Maybe your dad left. Maybe your mom left. Maybe they might as well have left emotionally. This passage would say that not only has God noticed you, but he has pursued you and he has set his love upon you and said, mine. One of my, a friend of mine, he's my only friend, he's a scholar, so I name drop him all the time. His name's Preston Sprinkle, and he wrote a book called um, Caris uh, on Grace in the Old Testament. You should read it if you haven't. I promise they'd sign off on it. But, but he has a, a phrase in the book. He says, um, he says, as Christians, we're prone to wander, and God, God is prone to chasing us down with his grace. He just loves us. And, and so here's the deal. God didn't just let you in the orphanage when he found you on the doorstep. He went out looking for you. He actually wanted you. And so you have worth and value because the God of the universe wanted you. And he proved your worth to him by sending his son to lay down his life for you. When you um, whenever some, some, whenever a, um, something of great value is bought, um, the value is decided ultimately by the buyer. The, the, the person selling can say this is what it's worth, but if no one buys it, it's not actually worth that. But, but the one who makes the purchase says, I'm deciding that you're worth this. And for some reason, Jesus said you're worth, God the Father said you're worth the blood of Jesus. You're such a mess that I had to pay this much. So don't get arrogant. But, but at the same time, I love you enough to say I, I, I'm wor- it's worth it for me to, to, to pay it for you. And so remember that you're chosen. Remember that your worth and value comes from the God of the universe setting his love upon you. Not because some guy says you look good or you're nice or whatever it is. The God of the universe created you. He knows you. And, um, 
he chose you. All right, second, second thing to remember. Remember that you're justified. Remember that you're justified. Ephesians 1, 4, again, it says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Um, I don't know about you, but I am not holy and blameless, right? Uh, right? Like, like there's a day coming, I think the Bible says, where, where I will be holy and blameless, but my day-to-day life right now does not look super holy and blameless. But one of the things the Bible says is that God has granted us his holiness and granted us his righteousness, that, that he's justified us, that the reason I'm holy is because I have Jesus' holiness. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake he made him, talking about God, made him Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus lived 33 perfect sinless years. He never sinned once, not even for a second, not even, for, not even in his thoughts. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that means that on the cross, Jesus was treated as if, as if he had lived my sinful, wicked life, my messed up, jacked up, broken life, and he was punished accordingly. So Jesus was crucified for, for the lies I've told. Jesus was crucified for the money I've stolen. Jesus was crucified for the sexual sin that I have committed. Jesus was crucified for the pride that I exhibit all the time. Jesus was crucified for, for that. And then at the same time, I was, we traded places. When I put my faith in him, um, I was credited with his righteousness, which means um, I'm credited with his sexual purity. I'm credited with his humility. I'm credited with his um, love. I'm credited with his trust of the Father. Everything that I hated about me growing up, I'm credited with his honesty. Everything that I hated about myself growing up, um, and that I still hate about myself, um, no longer is um, my, that's no longer my record in, in the courtroom of heaven. My, my record is, um, I've been given a new record by Jesus. And so one of the ways to look at this is, um, did anyone have a smart friend in school growing up? Anybody? Nobody? All right, cool. We got three people with smart friends. That's good. Um, <laughs> How many just you knew of a smart person in high school, right? I, my, I wasn't hanging out with the smart guys, to be honest, so I'm not, I'm not hating on you. But I had a, um, I had a friend who was the, um, I think it's called, see, I'm not even smart enough to know, but the second, like the salutatorian, salient, so there you go, boom, whatever that is. Uh, he had like a 4.3, and it was going to some crazy school. And, um, and just imagine, literally, you have these transcripts, and you are an FD student, and then your smart friend says, man, I'm going to trade I'm going to trade transcripts with you. And you still have two years left. It's your sophomore year. Uh, this is a senior. He's, he's done the thing. Um, and, and the idea is that before you even take the classes, you have A's um, in the eyes. You have the, that record, that standing. Not because you actually earn the grades, but it's the standing you've been given. Um, but that means that you're completely forgiven, that you're completely righteous um, in the eyes um, of the Father. And that's a big deal. Because a lot of us, we try to, we try to um, erase our guilt ourselves. We, 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 we go, Jesus said it was finished, but like, not really. Which is a lie, but that's what we believe all the time. Because we always base our relationship with God on how we're doing. Uh, one author, J.D. Greer, he said, Christians are like a contestant on Survivor. It's kind of a throwback quote. Uh, Christians are like a contestant on Survivor, endlessly trying to prove to God why we deserve to stay on the island. And maybe some of you guys have experienced this before. You, you, you're constantly trying to earn um, the favor of God. And so um, January 1st hits. By the way, I love that you guys use CBR journals because, like, you just move on to the next day. But a lot of people have a Bible reading plan that goes um, 365, January 1st, Genesis 1. 
January 2nd, Genesis 2, and you jump on board and you're like, this is the year, baby. I'm reading the whole Bible. God's going to be so pumped on me at the end of this year. And you, you jump into your Bible, and, um, and it starts out intense. Like, Genesis is intense, man. There's a lot going on. I feel like, I mean, Genesis is, is kind of crazy. It's kind of grimy. Kind of, there's like murder and war and incest and betrayal and all this stuff going on. And, um, I mean, honestly, Genesis makes Game of Thrones look like a Snoopy movie or something. Like, it's just crazy. And then you get to Exodus, and, and, and Exodus is this epic story of redemption and deliverance and, and let my people go. And God raises up someone in the sea parts, and there's these, these evil people. And, and you read the throne, and you're like, what's going to happen next to these people? And then you get to Leviticus, and it just slows down, right? You get there. Even if you have kind of a gospel hermeneutic, you're like, dang, this is still hard. And you start reading it, and, uh, and, and, and you start thinking to yourself, like, I've never even thought about boiling a calf in its mother's blood. It's not getting anything out of this today. And, and you read it, and then you just stand and become, like, see, you're terrible at Bible reading. You're condemned. God doesn't love you. You can't even make sense of the Bible. Think you know the guy who wrote it? Or prayer, right? We go, man, you know what? Maybe Bible reading is not my thing, like receiving from God, but man, I'm going to talk to him, right? And I'll hear a little bit prophetically, but I'm going to talk to him. And you go, all right, and you, and you start praying for the things that matter, right? You open up, and you start, so you start praying for the church, new city, right? Zach, he's working like crazy, East Coast. Um, um, eventually, saying, so like, Lord, what's so funny? The name, yeah, no. And so you're like, Lord, honestly, I'm praying for Zach, praying for his family, I'm praying for Natasha, and she'd be able to, to love these kids, be patient with these kids all by herself. And I pray for Zach, you give him endurance to do what he needs to do for his family and for us. And I pray you give him wisdom and joy, and you're just pouring out your heart for him. And you think about the church, and then you think about, um, and then you think about Vince. And you go, oh man, I think Vince is coming over. Lord, I pray for Vince. I think Vince is coming over for dinner in two days. Not sure who's getting the food. Maybe, maybe it was us. I'll probably just get pizza. Yeah, I'll, I'll just get pizza. Speaking of pizza, man, oh man, I saw a commercial with pizza the other day. It was for that new Ninja Turtles movie. And I was thinking about taking the, my kids to go see it, my boys, because it was a thing I was into when I was a kid. But then this, this movie looks kind of scary, like scary Ninja Turtles, though. I thought my wife would flip out on me if I took the boys to see this. A Shredder scene was like a hostage situation. And it just seemed like too gnarly for a kid. But I don't know, but man, by the way, are we going to, I think we're going to be, I think they want to be Ninja Turtles for Halloween. I don't know what I'm thinking for, are we going to do like autonomous Halloween costumes? We're going to do one big family costume and you're praying and then you just go, oh my gosh, I'm not praying about anything. And you, and, and the enemy's like, see, look at you, you can't even talk to God, you terrible sinner. Right? Going on, or, or a mission, you go, you know what? Um, I read a, a story about one guy who um, committed to share the gospel every day with one person and one night, it was 11.30, he had a long day at work, and he got home, and he laid, you know when you like lay down, and you have that like, I'm about to fall, it's like better than sleeping, the I'm about to fall asleep, and nothing could change it, and then he realized, I haven't shared the gospel with anybody today, so he gets out of bed, like 11.45, and he just walks around subway stations, trying to find a person to share the gospel with, and he did, and I'm sure it was really effective, I'm sure it was like full of joy, and uh, you know, we do this, like man, I gotta, I gotta share the gospel, or purity, you know, if, if I can just go a month, and maintain my sexual purity, whether it's my thought life or pornography or sleeping with someone or whatever it is. Um, and again, you can be in the church for years and live this way. Matter of fact, this is what the world thinks Christianity is. It's a bunch of do's and don'ts and just like awkwardness and guilt. Like you're awkward and you're guilty. That's Christians. Um, and, and again, all those things I just talked about, I had a woman who um, 
It broke my heart. She was about 55. She was on a church staff with me. I was a college pastor. I was 25. She was about 30 years. My elder. This amazing woman. Um, and she had a, a, an abortion when she was in college. I'm talking over 30 years ago. And she was on a church staff. She was in three church services a weekend. And she said, do you really think God, like, completely forgave me for that? And um, just crying. I mean, she still had no idea the power of the blood of Jesus. You know, and it said, yes. Yeah. It's gone. And so you don't need to live there. He, he literally already died for it. You're not going to win him over with, with Bible reading. Now, again, all the things I just talked about, reading your Bible, praying, mission, pursuing, pu- pursuing purity, are good as a means of increasing our intimacy with God. But they are downright demonic if used as a basis for why we're allowed to be intimate with God. Okay? If, if they're a means to our forgiveness, they are a, they are, they're terrible. But if they're, I've received forgiveness, I've received redemption, I've received this intimacy through the blood of Jesus, that he has torn the curtain, that he has made a new and living way, like Hebrews says. And now this is, again, I do disciplines to enjoy that relationship, not as a means to create it. You see the difference? And again, just think this through, even in your own life. Um, I don't know how many of you guys have had... Uh, just relationships where it feels like you're always doubting whether or not the person really likes you or cares about you, whether it's a friendship or a a rough romantic relationship or whatever it is. It's like you can't move forward if every day, like if every morning I woke up and asked my wife, hey, are we still married? You sure? Nothing went down last night? Fast, Fast divorce van I see in Mission Valley? That wasn't you? We would never really be able to move forward, right? She'd be, she'd be, it would be crazy. And so know this morning, remember this, guys, as you walk through your day and you think back on that thing that's already been done, that there's one that's already paid the penalty for it. And when you're, when you're tempted to go back to whatever sin it is that you're struggling with to go, someone's died for this. Why would I pursue this again? Like, I'm free. Like, I literally, we'll get into that more in a second. We talk about sanctification. Next one is remember that you're adopted. Remember that you're adopted. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, it says, verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Galatians 4 says that at the right time, at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. He sent Jesus to be born by Mary, um, to die once and for all. For, 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 I'm really blanking on the passage. I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you what it means. You look it up. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. 4, 4 through 5. Oh, I have it. Perfect. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, that's Jesus, born of woman, that's Mary, born under the law. He was going to live up to the law for you to redeem those who were under the law. We were under God's law. We can never live up to it so that we might receive adoption as sons. So on the cross, when Jesus dies, we received ado- Ephesians says we received adoption through Jesus Christ. On the cross, what this is saying is that um, when Jesus died, he didn't just die that you might be forgiven, as amazing as that is, and I just talked about that. He also died to sign your adoption papers forever with his blood, and he's never sending you back to the or- orphanage. He's never sending you back, and then he gives you a spirit because you're his sons and daughters. God has sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, and it's the spirit of his son. So in the same way that Jesus Christ could talk to the Father and the same love relationship that he had with the Father. He gave you his spirit so you could know that that's the relationship you now have with him. So now the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. 
If you can't get pumped up about that, guys, I've, I've got nothing left for you. God has become your father in the gospel. Zephaniah 3.17, I think it's a beautiful Old Testament adoption piece. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Um, uh, there's a guy who's a lot smarter than me, a guy named Dr. Sam Storms. He's actually an I pastor in Oklahoma City, and he wrote a book called The Singing God on Zephaniah 3 and, and about the love of God and how God sings over you. And he, um, he knows his Hebrew like crazy. He used to be a, a, a guy. He was at Wheaton College for a while, even as a seminary professor. And he says that a better translation of this is, isn't that he will quiet you by his love. It's that he's quieted with his love for you. And the idea here is um, the way that a mother or father would hold a child and just be content when it's sleeping, <laughs> when he or she's sleeping, be, just be content. And, I, and if you have kids, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, um, but kids are hard, right? Like when you first have kids, um, it, it's brutal. No offense to the kids in the house, uh, but when you guys were babies, you were very, very hard. Um, and right, they're up all night, right? They're just basically like bad roommates. They're up all night. They, they go to the bathroom on you. They just do things to you that you never thought would be done to you. They degrade you. They don't let you sleep. They don't pay rent. Um, they're, just, they're just hard. And, but but as, as annoying as they are initially, man, the minute, right when they're asleep, or, or they're, it's like you're just in love. And all they do is make your life harder. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> On a real, I mean, when they're babies, right? I mean, from what they're giving, what they're bringing to the table. Um, but but when, they're, when they're asleep, it doesn't matter. There's people who have treated you infinitely better that you don't love nearly as much as you love this one right here because they're your child and you love them as, as almost as much as you love anybody and, and then Sam Storm says this is what um, the prophet's saying here about Israel and, and, and right before this is Old Testament gospel but it says that he's taken away their judgments so that he could come in so that he could be intimate with them like a father or he'll exult over them with loud singing so the father in his adoption of you his love for you either causes him to just be quieted, he's just, he, he loves you, or he's so pumped about you, he's singing. Just think about that, right? Have you ever been so excited you start singing, right? You're just hitting the shower. I can't even think of a song to sing. It'd be rough anyways, right? But you just, ba 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 right? Whatever, you get good news, you, um, whatever it is, you're just excited. You just want to share something, right? And uh, you want to you hop on Instagram. You, wanna, you just want to tell people, you want to tell the world something. You're just so excited about this some reality, some good news, some relationship news, some job news, and some hair, haircut. And, um, and the, the, the father is stoked about you. It's crazy. And again, and now here's why this matters in your day-to-day -day life. Do you remember your adoption? Because um, some of you guys, you live your entire life performing for the acceptance of others. The most uh, dramatic example I have ever seen of this uh, was a time when uh, I spent... Um, one month in the United States Air Force. Um, it's a long story. <laughs> it was 10 years ago, but I did a, a tour of duty. Uh, I don't really think it's a tour of duty. I don't want to degrade veterans, but, but a tour of duty at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas, uh, where I held an, an empty rifle. And, uh, and I'll never forget it. The first night, uh, we, we flew in, and everything about the place is hyper-performance-driven because it's, it's, uh, they're trying to get you to, to, to live up to their standards. They're breaking it down to build you back up, all that stuff. And, and, and so it's very intense. The pressure's intense right away. The minute you get off the plane, they're yelling at you. And they're yelling at you for things that there is no possible way a human being could be angry without, without being off a little bit, 
right? So they're like, you're going to walk like that? They're like, dude, you're angry at the way I walk. Like, you might think the way I walk's funny, but like, you're angry, right? And you go home to people? Like, this isn't good. You're going to eat a sandwich like that? I mean, real things they said. And, and um, before you go to, um, and so basically they're looking for things to, to, to point out to make you feel like, like junk. And um, the first night, it's like two in the morning. We get off the plane. It was running late, all this stuff. And all we want to do is go to sleep. And we're standing like this. First time I've ever stood. It's probably bad attention. I'm 10 years rusty. And we're all standing there in line. And the TI is just walking back, train instructor, walking back and forth, kind of major pain style, just looking for something. He's not funny, though, um, like in the movie. And he's looking for just something, right? And he's just breathing on people's necks. And it's like, and, and this, he walks up to this one guy. And he just goes, what is this? And he, and he points at this guy's face. And, and what happened is um, before you go to basic training, your recruiter tells you, hey, before you go, make sure you have a completely clean-shaven face. So no mustache, no flavor saver, no creepy mustache like Vince. Um, nothing. No goatee, no beard, no 5 o'clock shadow, no sideburns. Clean-shaven face. And I think everyone's recruiter told them that because everyone had a clean-shaven face except for this one guy. And he had some baller Elvis Presley sideburns. And the guy said, what is this? And he said, uh. And he's, he's like, sideburns? He's like, you're supposed to have sideburns? Like, no. And he goes, that's it. And kind of the, the motto of the Air Force, at least here, was kind of all for one, one for all. It's the Three Musketeers, but same idea. And so he's like, all right, everyone, all we want to do is go to sleep. Everyone, go, everyone has a razor already. Everyone go grab your razors, get in the bathroom right now. We're going to shave our faces. We're going to shave our whole freaking faces. Boom, boom, boom. So we all run there. It's three in the morning, and everyone's freaked out. This guy's yelling. I mean, it's T.I. It's intimidating. He's big. Shave. And he just keeps using the same phrase over and over again. Shave your whole face. Shave your whole face. Shave your whole blankety-blank face. And then he says, um, and then we just hear him say, what the? And we, we turn around. There's one guy in the corner. He turns around. He shaved his eyebrows off. <laughs> and I mean, and I'm from South San Diego. I was like, dude, just draw him back on, bro. You'll be fine. But, but, it, but it just blew me away. Like, why on earth would a guy shave his eyebrows off? Like, like I don't, and here's the thing. I don't think that guy gets up every day and shaves his eyebrows off. I don't think he touches them up. I don't think he, like, fades his eyebrows. I, I, I think that in that moment, what was he trying to do? trying to live up to the standards. He was doing crazy stuff. And this is what Christians do. You live up, you're trying to live up to this crazy standard with God and you perform and do weird stuff and start, getting, start wearing bad t-shirts because you think it'll impress God and um, like really cheesy Christian ones and, and send out bad texts with bad pictures of Jesus and just corny stuff. And, and, you're, trying to, and you're trying to perform and then, and then forget even God's approval. Then you want the approval of people. And, and so you're just, you're, your whole life is performing for acceptance. And maybe for you it's on social media. Uh, maybe it's getting a boyfriend, getting a girlfriend, getting some kind of friend that makes you feel worthy, getting a spouse, or keeping any of those people happy if you did get them. And you'll do whatever it takes. If it means compromising physically, if it means compromising who you are, pretending you don't even follow Jesus, it's like you'll do it because all you want is that acceptance. Maybe it's getting your parents, who may or may not even be alive, just to be proud of you. I preached a sermon like this at a church plant in North Carolina about a year ago. I had a man who was about 60 years old, tough construction worker, and I came up and he was crying. He had like two tears, and, and uh, he's like a Clint Eastwood kind of cat, and, and he said, man, I'm, my whole life, I just wanted my dad to tell me, good job, Bill. Whole life. I watched a 
a YouTube clip one time of, um, of, of Michael Jackson. Not a fun dancing one, he was like talking at a, um, I don't even know what it was, but he literally said, all I've wanted my entire life is for my dad to say he was proud of me. And think through all the stuff, you just know Michael Jackson, all this crazy stuff he got involved in. And also all the stuff he had, like all the success, it's like didn't even matter. He just wanted his dad to say, I'm proud of you, do you guys live there? Or maybe it's your boss, but just get this promotion at work. And so here's the deal. Adoption is this aspect of your salvation that Tim Keller describes like this, that the only person in the universe who really matters delights in you. So that guy that's just like so impressive, he was created by this other guy who is significantly more important and bigger than this guy. And he has another guy, if this guy's trying to, you know, whatever it is, or girl or boss. And you can, and here's what, you'll forget your adoption when you're freaking out at work. So I have to provide for myself like an orphan. I have to defend for myself. I have to impress my boss because if my boss doesn't like me, it's over. And instead of going, no, no, there's someone who's above your boss, who created your boss, who created you, who loves you, who loves you more than you love yourself, who's looking out for you. And maybe your boss will give you a terrible review, even though you worked hard. Work hard, by the way. But, 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 but you work hard, you don't need to be frantic. It's not bad to want a romantic relationship. You don't need to be frantic doing anything to find that acceptance. And so, man, has that hit you? Maybe the idea of God as Father might not sound like good news to you if you had a bad dad, but this is a perfect dad. The dad you've actually probably wanted your whole life that you never even knew you could have. You do in Jesus. Maybe you've never had a dad who actually thought through your life for you, who actually had plans and dreams for you, who actually prayed for you, but you have one who, 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 who is these things, who dreams for you. He's got a dream for your life, a vision for your life. He's got a, a family way of living in the kingdom. He's got joy for you. Maybe you never knew it was possible. And not just, he's not just a sovereign super king. He's a loving father, and he's in control of everything. It's really crazy. Do you know that, that that's your father? And that can happen when you're pursuing acceptance, but it can also happen when circumstances hit hard. And you feel like, who's in control? What's in control? He is. So the same father who loves you more than you love yourself also happens to be the most powerful being in the universe. It's helpful, to say the least. And it's true. It's not just like a good idea. It's true. It's true. Man, has it hit your prayer life with the Father? Like, do you really believe that when you talk to him, he loves it? That, that he loves it when you pray, not because you're earning points because you pray, but he's like, I love you. I love to hear from you because you're my kid. And not because you're good at praying. No one's good at praying. Very few people are. I'll put it that way. You want to humble a Christian, go, how's your prayer life? Never what they think it should be. But he, he loves it. My son, um, Calvin, he's two right now, about seven, eight months ago, he started talking, and his first word was daddy. And I, and, um, but, but when he said it, he didn't say daddy, and he didn't say dada. He said ada, which is a pretty rough way to say daddy. If we're grading, I've heard daddy said better, pronounced better. But when he said it, I got my phone out, and we're like, say it again, say it again. And because he's my son, again, I love it. I'm like, dude, he must be just, he's so smart, he's like reconfiguring the English language. It's going to be, he's, he's working through some um, phonetical stuff, and, and he's, it's going to be Ada. Like, everyone's going to see that soon. It's a more efficient way to say daddy. Let's, let's all be honest. And, uh, and, and I'm getting pumped that, that, that when you pray, God's like, oh, you're praying. I love this. Even if it's not very good, even if your mind wanders, because you're his, his boy, you're his girl. Um, what's my, I'm sorry, bro, what's my time? 
You say that. There's other people. <laughs> you guys are with me? Do you have 10 more minutes in you? Okay. All right. Number four, uh, remember, so remember that you are chosen. Remember that you are justified. Remember that you are adopted. Remember that you are being sanctified. In Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, we might, yeah, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to death to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free for the one who has died has been set free from sin. What that means is that on the cross, excuse me, Jesus didn't just die to pay the penalty for your sin that you might be forgiven. He didn't just die to sign your adoption papers to make you his, to bring you into his family as his brother. Hebrews says as, as a son or a daughter of, of the king. He also brought you in to enable you to live as a son or daughter of the kingdom. That on the cross, he, he canceled out the power of sin in your life. This means you don't have to sin. Not because you're not allowed to anymore, but because you don't even want to anymore the more you experience this reality. That Jesus connects you with his Holy Spirit that transforms you from the inside out, giving you new desires for him to become like him. And there's this thing in you, and you're not perfect by any stretch, but there's this thing in you that's, that wants him more than anything else. And even when you're in the midst of this struggle and this battle, you know that if there was a possibility for you to flip a switch to completely be free of this forever and never go back, you would even as much as you want it right now. And sometimes your deepest desire doesn't match your strongest desire in the moment. But you, you have this deeper desire. And, and he's transforming you slowly, but he's doing it. And the power uh, at the cross um, it starts to move towards you. And again, sometimes we, we've been Christians for so long, we just get jaded. And, and, and we just think, I'm not growing, I'm not changing. We can be like a little kid asking the question, am I... Am I growing, Mom? Have you seen me grow? You're like, nah, man. I had one friend of mine who said she saw her daughter literally grow between nap times. I just thought she was crazy. So I um, hope she never listens to this. Um, but, 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 but no, typically, like, we never see ourselves grow, but we know growth has happened. If you saw a picture of Vince at two, he did not look like that. Had the same stash, was significantly shorter, right? There was a time when he looked different, but, but we cannot say that he did not grow. You can't watch a tree go, but, but it does. And in the same way, and that's why we need to gospel one another, by the way, because we need to remind each other, hey, I'm seeing God do this in you. You don't see that you're changing, but you are. That he who began it will complete it in you. Like, he really, really will. We had a, um, and, and again, sometimes people who are um, newer to the faith are actually more excited about the capacity for Jesus to change them than we are if we've been in the church for a while. Um, and uh, we had this couple in our church, a couple named um, Parker and Sam, and I can tell their story because I actually shared it two weeks ago on a Sunday at our anniversary Sunday. They shared this, this story I'm about to tell you. This one, like, four months old, five months old. But there's this couple, Sam and Parker, and they were new in town, and uh, they worked with one of our leaders uh, who owns a company. He's an incredibly missional cat, and um, he threw his birthday party at a brewery, and, uh, and then he did what happens at a lot of our birthday parties for our church. We just have awesome people. And so there was a ton of awesome people at the birthday. I think, by the way, again, the church is the people of God, not the building or the place. And the people of God are the most attractive, should be the most attractive element to Jesus. And so um, by the way we love one another, by the way we're unified. I preached on that this morning at 1 Corinthians. People will see Jesus. And so that's kind of what happened. She saw these people. They were new to town. They didn't have friends. They were not Christians by any stretch. And she started asking everyone at, they went to Stonebury and Point Loma, started asking everybody, how do you know Royce Nelson? Like, how do you know? And they're like, oh, we go to the same church. And she's like, what? Like, church? 
like, you guys are so cool. Like, why would you go to church? And, um, and then, um, so she, she literally asked, hey, so she said she drove home that night with her husband. She said, hey, like, do you think maybe we should go to that church so we could hang out with those people? Which is a good sign, by the way. You're, you have a compelling community. And we, it's not always that way. I'm just, just this one night. I'm not like bragging or anything. I'm kind of bragging. I, I love our church. But, um, but she said, maybe we should go. So she, they asked Royce permission. They said, can we go to the gathering? And he's like, yeah, you can come to the gathering. And so they come, and uh, she was pregnant. She was about eight months pregnant. And, uh, and I saw her, and I said, hey, like, who's, who's going to be making you meals? Like, who's, who's going to be making you meals? And uh, she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, after you have the baby, like, you know, who's going to make you meals? I know you guys are from up in the Santa Barbara area. You live in San Diego now. You know, I have family. She's like, make me meals? I was like, yeah. I was like, I know you knew the whole baby thing. I've had, you know, my wife's had two, and uh, you don't want to cook that first month. Trust me. And she's like, well, what I was going to do is, like, make crockpot meals and then, like, freeze them. And then I was like, that sounds like hell on earth. Like, don't do that. Don't, it's bad enough. You know, it's bad enough that first month with no sleep. You don't want to be eating that. And so I said, all right, let's do it. We're going to, we'll get you on our meal train, like anyone in our church. And we're going to love you like family. And, uh, and sure enough, we had, like, five weeks of meal train set up for five weeks. Just people from our church uh, bringing her meals and, uh, and bringing her clothes and praying for her. And she had a very specific allergy that got honored through the, the meal train. All this stuff's happening. And, um... And uh, then she asked, hey, can I, like, can I join, um, like, a gospel community? Can I join, like, one of these groups? And we're like, yeah, if, if you want to. And we went through this thing, Gospel Primer, the Soma guys put out. And then we, uh, we talked in it about people of peace, people that are um, open to the message, that know you're a Christian and still like you, uh, seem to be open to the message of the gospel. And, um, and so she heard all about that. And then at the end of that group, we had, like, an eight-week session, ten-week session, something like that, uh, intro to missional community. And at the end of it, we did this, like, celebration night where we had a good dinner. And we said, hey, what did you learn over the last 10 weeks? And she said, um, she, she started crying. And she said, I'm going to lose my SH something. So I'm just going to go first. And she started crying. She wasn't Christian, so she just cussed as a community group. It's beautiful. And uh, she said, I'm just going to go first. You guys think I'm weird. But she said, um, I don't know where I'm at with this whole God thing, but I just feel like the, most, the luckiest person in the world to get to know you guys. And if God's like you guys, I want to know him. I was like, dude, we could have had everyone else just not share that night. They still did. <laughs> and then, so then we start doing this discipleship curriculum where, where um, they're actually asked to have a person of peace. And she's like, I have two people of peace. And I was like, Sam, are you a Christian? She's like, no, no, I'm not ready for that. But she was like, people, she was going to engage missionally. And I was like, wait, what, you want to, she's like, I just want people to experience this. I love community. And then um, her, um, we had baptism Sunday and we, we'd set up for it. And so there was baptism signups and she signed her husband up. And she didn't sign herself up. And he was like, dude. And then I was like, hey, you signed up? He's like, I did? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, but I, I want to. And he'd become a Christian. was very clear on it. It was really cool. And then he, um, and then uh, I said, are you ready? She said, I'm not ready. But, she was like, but then she invited the whole family to come out. She invited people from work to see her husband get baptized. It was real weird. Then her mom got sick and uh, up in the Ventura County, Santa Barbara area. And um, then she was, so then what she started doing was she was driving three hours a Sunday to gathering and then back every Sunday for like two months. I'm like, I know Christians that don't show up to gathering when the Charger game's on. Why are you not a Christian? Like, I don't understand. And then I preach on authenticity and how the gospel frees us to be brutally honest about the most jacked up parts of ourselves. Um, and you can be fully known and fully loved at the same time. She was just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And we're like, hey, and my wife's like, hey, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, yeah I'm fine. And so we're like, what is going on? And it never, I never understood, like, why are you not getting saved? And then this one week, I get a call from her husband, Parker, and uh, he's crying. 
and he says, hey, um, I need, can you or Brad come over, or one of our other elders, she said, he said, um, because Sam just confessed to me that um, two weeks into our marriage, she committed adultery, um, and uh, she, she had a one-night stand with a guy, and when I was on a long trip, and, um, and, and then we, we ended up meeting with her, meeting with him, and she literally said, um, the reason why I didn't want to become a Christian is because I knew I would have to deal with this, and I know I'd have to open up my my life in this area, but then she said, but after watching the way that Jesus changes you guys, I knew he could change my life. I knew he could transform me, and that's literally, I mean, like four to five months into this thing, and it's like happening. Like, it, like it's weird to say. It's like the best that this could go, and it's, it, it's, it's almost, it's hard. It's like it's so strange, but it's like it's amazing. Like, Jesus is doing real things. He, she, um, didn't want to confess to it because he had said at one point earlier in the relationship, if you ever cheat on me, I'll, I'll break, I'll just, you know, I'll get rid of you. And she was pregnant and I'll break up with, not kill you, but like I'll break up with you, I'll get rid of you. I'll, I'll break up with you. And um, she was sure it was going to happen. And then he, she tells him and he says, uh, you know what? Uh, I forgive you and I'm not going anywhere. And Jesus has forgiven me. He said, I'm mad. It wasn't like a fake, like no big deal. I'm really mad. But I know that, that I've done a lot of things to make God mad. I know Jesus has forgiven me and, and we're going to figure this out. I'm not going anywhere, and now they got this baby, and it's going to be getting dedicated soon, and she's going to get baptized in a few weeks, and she, she literally said, man, I knew that Jesus could, could transform me, and so do you believe he can change you, you and your pride, you and your anger, you and your jealousy, your lust, your greed, your fear, your insecurity, your addiction, Jesus died on the cross to free you, it's not just like a, a cool idea, like he, he actually did, and so I want to close this way and just ask what aspects of the, I'm sorry, I think I went long. I, I, don't have, I always have a timer. I'm the worst guy in the world when I have a timer. I'm so sorry. But I'm going to close with this, um, with this question going into communion. Is what aspects of the gospel have you forgotten? Um, do you feel guilt or shame over past sins or present areas of your life God is still working on? And grab hold of the truth of justification. Jesus already took your punishment. Do you feel the need to control others' opinions of you or try to impress God with your spirituality? Grab hold of the truth of adoption this morning. Do you feel like you'll never be able to change or experience victory in a certain area of sin and grab hold of the truth of sanctification? Uh, do you feel like you, you don't matter and no one wants you? Grab, grab hold of the truth of election that you've been chosen. And then the last one, I wasn't planning on this, but I just feel it strongly from the Spirit just to quickly share this. Is, um, there's also the reality of the gospel of, of the new creation that Jesus one day is gonna come back to restore all things completely, including you, and including um, the situations you're in. And there really will be a day where there's no more sickness, and there's no more disease, and there's no more pain, and there's the, the fullness of joy. And it's not this like random false hope, it, it's reality, like the king is coming, and he's coming to restore all things, uh, including you. So uh, I wanted to pray, is there a second set of worship? I don't know. Okay, cool. No, no problem. Sorry. Um, so I'll pray, and then I want to challenge you guys uh, to go off and take communion together and just ask each other, what aspects of the gospel do you need to hear? And then just pray that over one another. Um, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for New City Church. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that before we were even born, that you had set your love upon us. Thank you that well after we were born, deep into our sin, you sent Jesus to die for us. And not only die for us to forgive us, but then you now have chosen to adopt us and bring us into your family.
to make us your very own sons and daughters that you delight in, that you love. Father, I pray specifically this aspect of adoption for some reason, for those who you just feel like they can never be good enough, they're never good enough for their disciplines or their mission life or um, reading their Bible, whatever it is, Lord, that you would remind them today that, that you adore them, that you delight in them, that even in their sin, you, you hate their sin, but it's because your love for them is so fierce that you want to keep them from danger and pain. It's no longer even an offense to you because Jesus has already died for it. So now it really is you want to free them because you've redeemed them from that, so they don't need to live in it any longer. But you're not mad at them for it, that all of your anger and wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And then on the flip side of that, I was praying with an adoption for those who just feel like they're, they're facing insurmountable circumstances and obstacles, whether it's, it's financially, or their health, or their kids, or their marriage. They just feel tired. Would you remind them that you're in control as father, that you're not just a father who loves them a lot, but you're a really powerful father, the king of the universe? And then would you also remind them that, that the prince is coming back one day, that the king is coming back to restore all things. And Lord, Spirit, um, I pray, in John 16, it says that you guide us into truth. Lord, would you just guide the men and women today? I, I, can, just, I can tell people, have joy, because this is awesome, but Spirit, we ask you, we can't command you, you're the Spirit of God, but would you come and just minister and make these truths real in a way that I can't, make them felt, make them real. Would you cause them to just, just blow up men and women's hearts like dynamite? Your gospel, there'd be gospel shrapnel all over them. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, Zach.